0: Good evening and welcome to our environmental justice panel discussion. My name is Lauren Blickley and I am the Hawaii Regional Manager with Surfrider Foundation. Before we get started with our panelists, I wanted to share a little bit about our intentions and goals for this evening. Surfrider Foundation is a nonprofit grassroots organization, and we're dedicated to the protection and enjoyment of our ocean, waves, and beaches for all people through a powerful activist network. While we're headquartered in San Clemente, California, we're spread across 10 10 regions with 80 chapters. Our Hawaii region includes five active chapters, including Kauai, Oahu, Maui, Kona, and Hilo. Our Hawaii chapters are made up of our local community members and volunteers who for over 20 years have been advocating for beach access, our shorelines, clean ocean water, and healthy ocean ecosystems. And while we're really good at what we do, we always have the opportunity to do much better. While I don't wanna speak on behalf of all environmental organizations, I don't think it's a big secret that environmental movement has not traditionally been inclusive, equitable, or diverse. Recognizing this, about a year and a half ago, Surfrider Foundation launched its first directed effort to better incorporate diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, into our organization. And this has included annual staff trainings, the creation of a DEI committee and diversifying our board of directors, interns and staff. Yet it is honestly embarrassing to acknowledge not only from an organizational standpoint, but also as a lifelong environmentalist myself, that it took the deaths of innocent black people and a nationwide black lives matter movement for us to just truly start waking up as an environmental community. Dismantling systemic racism is a personal journey, not only for an organization like Surfighter Foundation, but also for each of us as individuals. For some of you, that journey may have begun years ago. For others, maybe it was in the last couple of months. And for others of you, it may be starting right now and this evening. Over the past few months, our organization and chapters have had to take a really hard look at our role in the environmental justice movement. And this evening represents one of our first steps. And we are beyond indebted to our panelists this evening who are literally hand-holding us as we're taking and starting this journey and and are taking our first baby steps Uh, because it is absolutely not their obligation to do so. Uh, And frankly, uh, we we just are really humbled that they have chosen to to take this journey with us and, and help us as we start. We deeply appreciate them for taking the time to share their mana'o and their knowledge and for teaching us how to be effective allies in this fight for environmental justice. We as Starfighter Foundation Hawaii chapters know that this ban- panel discussion represents only the beginning of a long journey that we have ahead of us to ensure that we are being effective allies to Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities, organizations, and individuals. And with that, because you guys did not tune in to hear me this evening, I'd like to go ahead and turn this evening over to our panelists and our moderators, Ray Avazian and Tabitha Knudsen, who are going to be moderating this evening and leading us off. But again, I just want to humbly thank uh, our panelists and appreciating each and every one of your time uh, again, for helping us on, on what is going to be a, a big learning curve for us and just the very first step. So, mahalo to each and every one of you.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much, Lauren, for that introduction. And thank you to all of our panelists for being here and being a part of this conversation and um, allowing us to elevate your voices and this issue to the people. Um, Again, my name is Ray Ivozian. I am the chair for the Surfrider Foundation O'ahu chapter, and I'm also chair for the Environmental and Climate Justice Committee for the NAACP. Um, As Lauren had already stated, today we are here having this conversation to help elevate the voices of the people in our community in light of racial justice uprising. There is a need for environmental organizations to step up to the plate to highlight the intersectionality and interconnection between social and environmental issues that are affecting Hawaii and the rest of our world. I'm going to keep my introduction short and next go to my co-moderator Tabby and if you can please just yeah, share a few words on what environmental justice is.
2: Thank you Ray. Um, yeah so just a little bit of an introduction. My name is Tabby Knutsen. I'm currently a junior at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. I am the chair of the Surfrider Foundation UH club and I'm also a part of Surfrider Foundation's um, National Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Um, so again, I'm really thankful to be here and thankful for our, our panelists. Um, to give a little bit of background on environmental justice, uh, the term emerged as a concept in the United States around 1970, um, however, this is not to disregard the fact that environmental injustices have prevailed long before being given a label. Um, Environmental justice as defined by the EPA is the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people regardless of color, race, national origin or income um, with respect to the development, implementation and enforcement of environmental policies. And so this means that no group should bear a disproportionate share of environmental consequences and all groups should have the opportunity to become involved with the decision-making process um, regarding the environment. And so I'm so excited to be hearing from our panelists about environmental justice and its prevalence in Hawaii um, and their involvement in the movement. Um, And to our audience, please share this event on your Facebook and encourage your friends to join in on the conversation.
1: Okay, so getting into the conversation um, that we have planned for tonight. Uh, If each one of the panelists, if you can, please uh, just take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us about the work that you do relating to environmental justice and why this issue matters to you. Uh, If we can, please start with Kristen Brown, who is with the Hawaii Youth Climate Coalition.
3: Aloha. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ray um and Tavi and everyone and surf foundation for h- allowing this panel to happen my name is kristen brown i am a recent graduate from james campbell high school and i am the co-logistics director for hawaii youth climate coalition a small youth-led organization here on the island um and how this how our organization relates to Environmental justice is the work that we're doing, you know, trying to spread awareness and trying to allow folks to understand the importance of the what the environment has to offer, and then you know trying to bring that into schools and trying to educate peers that are, you know, youth. That way, they can further improve and further go the distance and further make a change in their community. I'm also a part. Uh, As of recently, I'm the NAACP Honolulu Chapter Environmental Climate Justice Vice Chair with Mr. Ray and Mr. Alfonso Braggs. And that is something that I'm also so inspired to be a part of. And just having these connections and foundations and knowing that they interconnect with each other and that together they can do more and be better and just grow the passion that is what it means to be an environmentalist and to share environmental knowledge with others. And it's, I'm very blessed to be here and very honored to be a part of this panel tonight. So thank you all very much.
1: Awesome, thank you, Kristen. Uh, next we have Noelani Gunier Kaukuwa, who is Chair and Professor of Political Science at the University of Hawaii at NOAA.
4: Aloha mai Kako. Aloha e na kuwa me na omakua mai kalahiki a kalakau mai Aloha e na kanaka mauli o nei a kai evalu walu me na belolike. Ike aloha aina mai na kai apuni o kohonua. Uh, mahalo nui to the organizers for inviting me and to uh, my fellow panelists for sharing this space. <clears throat> my name is Noelani Goodyear Kaopua and I I want to just share three things as a way of introduction about myself. Um, First of all is that I am the child of uh, Brian Goodyear and Lana Ka'opua. They were um, students when they birthed and raised me and and I grew up around University of Hawaii student activists um, from my earliest days and so today as an educator I'm very passionate about working with young people and giving them the tools that they need in order to get involved and to um, become active around the causes that they um, care about. Um, in connection to Surf Rider Foundation, uh, another thing I'd like to say is that I am a daughter of the ocean. My tutukane, Laiman David Kae Ka'opua, was a lavai'a fisherman and a surfer and I was raised by the waters of Kaneohe Bay and Kalihikai Um, I started surfing along the south shore of Oahu and still love to surf and paddle along along the the shore. I live in the Ahupua of Waikiki and also um, paddle regularly around Mokawea and Sand Island. And so um, the ocean and its health and the struggles that have taken place to protect our our waters are incredibly important to me from a lived and, um, you know, personal and familial standpoint. Um, And then finally, I'm a UH professor, Um, as was mentioned, I teach in political science specifically in Native Hawaiian and Indigenous politics. I'm a researcher and a teacher who focuses my work around Hawaiian social movements, movements for aloha aina. Um, So when I come to thinking about environmental justice, I really think about it from this Hawaiian perspective of aloha aina. Um, around the movements that have taken place over the last um, several decades to protect the lands, waters and life ways of the peoples of this place um, and to protect communities and um, ways of relating to our more than human relatives um, that are sort of embodied in what we call aina um, more broadly. So I'm grateful to be here and looking forward to the conversation.
1: Thank you, Noe. We are very grateful to have you and thank you for your introduction. Uh, Next panelist that we have is uh, Alfonso Braggs, who is president for the NAACP Hawaii and its constituents.
5: Good evening, everyone, and uh, thank you for allowing us this opportunity today to share with you. Uh, I'm Alfonso Braggs, and I am the current president for the NAACP here in Hawaii, which has coverage over Hawaii Japan, Korea, and Wong. And I'm a longtime social justice advocate, and I currently serve on the National Board of Directors for the NAACP, and in specific, I work on the Environmental and Climate Justice Committee as well as the Resolutions Committee. And I think that it's important for us to do exactly what we're doing here today because the average citizen or neighbor down the street is not that familiar with environmental justice. And it is not until it has a serious impact do they realize that uh, what we have realized here in the NACP, that this is one of those civil rights, one of those human rights that we seriously need to engage and educate and empower the very least of our community members on why it is so important for us to address it today. So thank you, and I look forward to today's conversation.
1: Thank you again for being here, Mr. Braggs. And lastly, for our panelists, we have Lauren Watanabe, who is the O'ahu Group Program Manager for the Sierra Club, point
6: Yeah. thank you so much. Um, so yeah, aloha everyone, I'm Lauren by Watanabe and I am the program manager and I operate really as a community and political organizer for the organization that's in a similar path as um, Surfwriter, and as a big, one of the big greens. Um, I think some of the things that really I love about my job is I do organizing with youth and at how I know Christian and really amplifying the, the leadership and advocacy that they have. And just like a little bit about me is that I am a third generation Latina from East LA and I'm very much, uh, my my identity informs my lens and how I view this work and the injustices that have been experienced by my family and myself. And what excites me about this moment in environmental justice right now is actually calling for this radical shift away from, or it has been calling away from extractive capitalism. And with the organization, um, Sierra Club has a really amazing article, uh, racism is killing the planet and seeing like those are the roots of um, kind of where we are today. And so that speaks to me and that is a direct passion of mine, right? Being uh, experienced colonialism in my, own history so i really feel like this is a a great shift that we are all taking in a conversation that is a catalyst for change so i'm very again very grateful to be here and um, i'm also a mom a poet and
2: have a passion for justice and storytelling (laughs) that is beautiful Um, thank you guys all again for sharing and, and for being here Um, So now we're going to get to the fun part and we're going to ask everyone individual questions. Um, But of course, we encourage everyone to join in if they have something that they would say or that they want to say, sorry. Um, So our first question will be directed to Kristen. Um, So the next generation of environmental activists play a significant role in creating positive change for the communities. And in your experience, what is the role um, of youth in the environmental justice movement?
3: I love this question. From my perspective, I see the role of youth kind of narrowed down to three slash four things. It's to understand, it's a big idea for, I guess to the older generation, it's a really big thing when youth actually know what's happening in today's world. So it's like, it's very important for us to understand what is happening in today's world and why we wanna change it and to find out our personal reason as to why it is a problem and what we can do. The next is to engage to, after finding that why, to actually figure out how we can change. And then the next is to mobilize and to activate our peers and to encourage others to go and (laughs) to change, create the change that they want to see. So I feel like because we have social media and because we are so much of a technology generation it's easy for us to have one focus and then to easily lose track and go to another thing that that we see that's you know that needs to be changed but i think as of right now when we band together and when we see a problem and it's a common problem and then we put it in perspective of how long this issue has been going on for example climate change and for example and you know racism here in the US and everywhere and we put it in perspective for how long we want to create that change and create the a difference in the world I know for me at least something that I think about a lot is leaving a legacy and how exactly that that looks like on this world where everything you know because of the internet everything will last forever but because of history Will it be learned? Will it be taught again so that it's not repeated or will it just be forgotten? And that's something that this generation is starting to understand and starting to grasp in some aspects and in some aspects, you know, the generational gap is, you know, what's causing more of a divide. So I feel like and what we are doing is working, you know, in creating the the movement and creating the passion. And a lot of times we kind of talk the talk, but we don't necessarily walk the walk, which is, you know, actually going out to the legislature and talking to them and understanding what it is that they're doing and questioning them. That is something that we need to continue to do is to question why things are happening and why people are acting the way they are. And then from there, we can stop. The negative action before it becomes a negative action so to speak and that is something that is happening day by day I feel like and something that our generation is working towards slowly and if we're more aware of what is happening and what it is that we're doing and how we can continue to progress instead of not progress or to fall short then that's something that can I feel something that can really leave a positive mark on the world and it's something that's happening, but it's just, we have to continue it.
2: I wholeheartedly
6: agree. Um, Lauren, did you wanna to add to that? Uh, sure, I mean, she said it so well, but I will say in my experience with youth is that how unapologetically fearless they are in what they they want and what they believe in and because they are, in like this world where um these injustices are, are very prevalent they care deeply about their future and um aren't i guess to speak to that generation divide trying to think of this old time idea or i'll use capitalism again of um what we learn in schools versus what actually operates um <laughs> in society and how harmful and destructive it is to community so uh, that's what I, I really think is powerful—that they are um, calling for this radical shift, and they're not backing down. And that's really exciting. I just
2: want to amplify that. Absolutely. If I may just say, I'm so stoked to be a part of that generation, and, and to constantly be inspired by my peers. Um, and I think especially the role that different groups play and different people play um, varies with each community. Every community is different, and the challenges that they face are all unique. Um, So Noelani, um, how do you feel that environmental justice issues in Hawaii and other Pacific Islands compared to those on the mainland?
4: Mahalo for this question, because I think it's so important. um, No matter what kind of um, advocacy or activist or intellectual work that we do, we have to really attend to the place where we are. So for me, thinking about environmental justice, I'll kind of expand a little bit on what I said earlier about aloha aina as this central um, value and philosophy and practice that has been a root of Hawaiian health and well-being for centuries. Um, And oftentimes it gets translated as love for the land, kind of just as a very crude translation, but it's so much deeper and richer than that. um, And I won't be able to even tap The depths of that, but I'll say a little as much as I can in the short time we have here. Um, And I guess I'll emphasize, you know, a few things about Aloha Aina and what that um, concept expresses. The first is that Aloha Aina expresses an unswerving dedication to the health of our natural world, which we understand as family, as ancestors, as more than human relations. Um, you know, we have a saying in Hawaiian, ika aina, he ke kanaka." The aina, the land, is the chief, and we are servants. Um, we humans are, ser- are the servants, and that's a very different kind of orientation than the dominant um, capitalist, imperialist kind of approaches to dominating the world, where humans have sort of dominion over. Um, So that's one thing aloha aina expresses. Another thing that historically the the term aloha aina has expressed is um, a staunch commitment to Hawaiian political autonomy as recognizing that being able to govern ourselves is part of a healthy existence and governance means control over our natural resources, our more than human relatives to be able to say um, how to live with those in in balance. we just celebrated on July 31st, ka ea, and ea is this other term that is really amazing because it um, encompasses both breath and life and sovereignty. And in 1897, um, when there were thousands of Kanaka who were gathering um, to protest the potential US annexation of Hawaii, what one of the um, leaders there, James Kaulius, said that day was that he said that agreeing to annexation would be like being buried alive, that we couldn't breathe. And it's so much resonance with the kinds of um, ways that Black Lives Matter has been talking about, you know, the literal ability to breathe, right, and how that is very much connected to um, power and governance. And so um, Aloha Aina also captures that Understanding that being able to govern and and structural power is important. Um, And then, lastly, you know, aloha aina is not just a feeling or a a belief, it's an action. It is an active practice. It can include all kinds of things, Um, but it really means, you know, putting aina first before ourselves. And I think when we think about environmental justice, then in the context of Hawaii today and over the last century plus, we have to put that question into the context and the frame of critiquing US empire, that Hawaii and other islands in the Pacific have long been sacrifice zones for imperial powers, and the largest among these in the last century has been and continues to be the US empire. So what environmental justice looks like then is you know movements to stop live fire training on Olave, in Makua on po- in Pohakuloa um, it includes you know movements against the nuclearization of the Pacific where islands like the Marshall Islands were um, used as targets for nuclear testing and if you have not um, seen the amazing work of uh, Marshallese poet Kathy Jetnell Kichner I would recommend at the very least checking out her um, video poem called Anointed um, to talk, you know, to talk about the the long-term trauma of what it means to have your islands sacrificed in that way. Um, It includes the ways that wars between imperial powers such as World War II devastated our oceanic cousins in places like Chuk in the Federated States of Micronesia or in Guam or Guahan as um, the native Chamorro people call it. And it includes the ways that, today, Hawaii continues to be under US military occupation, where 25% of this island that we live on, that that I'm I'm on anyway, Oahu, is controlled by the US Department of Defense. Um, When we think about in the Pacific, seven years ago, in the Majuro Declaration, Pacific Island leaders declared that climate change is, quote, the greatest threat to the livelihoods, security, and well-being of the peoples in the Pacific, end quote. We have to consider that the U.S. military is one of the largest polluters in human history, that it, it massively consumes fossil fuels and emits climate-changing gases. It's the single largest institutional consumer of hydrocarbons in the world. We have to think at this moment, this very moment in Hawaii, about RIMPAC, the, um, if we're talking about the health of our oceans, the RIMPAC exercises are the world's largest international maritime exercises. And it encompasses thousands of military personnel from over 25 countries across um, the world. And when we think about this moment of the pandemic in particular, you know, is what we need to be doing War games, putting resources into war games that are polluting our oceans, and bringing people together in ships that are very dangerous and, and landing um, in, in different places, Hawaii in Guam, um, or is what we need to be doing really thinking about health and the connections between the health of our lands and waters and the, the health of our own bodies. Hello.
1: Beautiful. Um, Thank you so much, Noe, for sharing that uh, insight and perspective from you on Aloha Aina, the military industrial complex, the damages that we are causing to this land, and we have been and still are continuing to cause. Um, It's a a huge issue that I firsthand uh, dealt with, uh, being a Marine for eight years, and seeing the impacts that we had here on this land. Um, And it is a part of the reason why I decided to become involved in this environmental movement was seeing the impact that we were having on the people, seeing the impact that we were having on the land, on our waters. Um, I'm an active spear fisherman, and going out into our waters and seeing that the fish are gone, seeing that our reef is dead, um, you know, it, it hurt me to where I said I had to do something about it, and I'm going to continue doing something about it. And I really appreciate you answering that honestly and uh, giving your opinion, or <laughs> your honest opinion. Um, So for our next question um, is to Alfonso Bragg. So about a decade ago, the NAACP developed its Environmental Justice Committee. And if you can speak as to why the committee was formed, what it does and how that intersects with the NAACP's social justice work.
5: Thank you very much for that question, Ray. And uh, I'll first begin with uh, we kind of already answered that question with respect to why it was formed. And for Hawaii, all we need to do is say what uh, was just previously spoken about, Aloha Ina. And so in a technical sense, the Environmental Justice Committee was formed because we wanted to address, address environmental justice inequities, and it was for primary reasons. We wanted to develop Uh, local and area agendas so that we could reduce pollution. We wanted to advance energy efficiencies at the local level and we wanted to uh, advance clean energy. And our fourth one had to do with, we wanted to develop and advocate for climate resilient infrastructures, policies and practices. And at the end of the day, what we really set out to do and how it intersects with the NAACP's social justice work is that again, we are a civil rights organization. We are the world's largest and oldest civil rights organization. And so we saw the need to help promote awareness and educate the public on the consequences of an inaction when it comes to environmental justice. And if we remain silent on this critical issue, then we will not have a future at all. It won't be what we do for future generations. There really will not be a world for them to live in. No habitat, no humanity uh, at all. So that's why we are involved. That's why it was organized and that's why it is at the top tier of what we want the world to know is a part of the civil and human rights that we're advocating and fighting for.
1: Thank you. Oh, uh, thank you, sir. Um, so, you had touched on Hawaii's sustainable energy program here, and I was wondering if you had any further insight that you could give um, in regards to Covance or H Power and how we approach our recycling and waste management here on Oahu and its location in Kapolei and how that affects the people or if anyone else has anything they would like to input on that.
5: Well, well first let me address the, the, that it is important for the people here in Hawaii to know that they can be a part of the change, that they are part of the advocacy uh, and the the public becoming aware of. One of the reasons why we continue to have infrastructures and entities being formed that create and further despair marginalized communities is because there really is no policy to protect these individuals. And so when you have big money that is put, uh, economics is put over humankind and health, then at the end of the day, the infrastructure that was going to put more money in rich people's pockets wins. So there has to be this cry out and we the people have to stop it. That's why we need to be working on reducing carbon footprints. We need to be working on pre, uh, preserving the natural habitat, preserving the green environment. We need to be working on getting rid of the, the coal uh, plants. We need to be working on making sure that infrastructures and technologies and uh, towers and power plants are not just put in low-income communities. You know, So this not in my backyard, uh, mindset is hurting low income ethnic minority groups and other marginalized groups and no one is speaking up and saying uh, anything about it so to your answer to answer uh, your question here yes something has to be done something had to been done yesterday and no we cannot sit idly by and allow just laws and policies Uh, to continue to support big industry when it is going to be our children that's going to suffer the consequences. And uh, it was mentioned earlier, you know, when we do something and then we simply say, we are sorry that it happened, but we look at the consequence when people who their children are born unhealthy, there are collateral health long-term effects and then those that are responsible don't want to take ownership of that liability and we've done everything in our power just about to say well it wasn't me that did it or it wasn't my current administration that did it so therefore that person who now has a health consequence as a result of that action you know go find something else or go to another place this is what's wrong with our society today and that is another reason why we truly have to unite regardless of your race, creed, color, economic, social status, we have to open up our eyes, wake up and recognize that something has to be done today and things have to change or we are all going to die as a result of this inaction.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that, that powerful statement, I 100% agree with you that we can no longer stand by idly and just talk about these things, allow these things to, get, to happen. We have to do something, actions speak louder than words, and while we are right now having words, we are having conversation about this, each one of us individually are on the action side as well, along with many of the people that are watching this and that aren't as well. Um, so yeah, thank you to that, sir. And Lauren, I had uh, seen you raise your hand. Did you have something to, to say on that?
6: Yeah, I wanted to offer um, that to your question about Covanta and our waste management system because it really is um, a mismanagement of our waste and it's a really great example of environmental racism in Hawaii, something that um, Mr. Braggs was sharing and what's been happening on West Oahu is. Basically, West Oahu, the Waianae Coast takes in about 100% of Oahu's trash, right? Literally, um, dumping trash. You have the PVT landfill and Waimanalo Gulch. And um, before I even go there, the Kodanta deal is a problem that everyone should know. It's a horrible deal that we are actually paying uh, for a certain amount of tonnage to go into h Power, our um, trash, incineration, waste-to-energy facility, that actually, if we don't meet that tonnage, the city gets fined, which means taxpayers get Taxpayer's fine. And if we, um, we don't meet it, so we, we uh, have to pay that fine. If we actually go over, we pay a fine. Um, so it's a really crazy, horrible um, policy and deal. And it incentivizes actually burning our trash and not doing adequate recycling, um, which you know isn't really happening. So again, going back to what's happening on the Waianae Coast, which is predominantly working class um, Hawaiian, and there is a health crisis on that area. There's about uh, 10 year less life expectancy on that part of the island. As it, like, you can see the accumulation of toxins have from PV2 landfill, Waimanala Gulch, um, H fire itself, trash, and chip, trash incineration. Sorry, um, actually the same amount of greenhouse gases as burning fossil fuels, if not more, if not um, having the same amount of pollutants into the air, you leach into the water, like this is really problematic. And again, it's seeing where it's um, being dumped, again, a Bride's fence, uh, not in our backyard. A lot of people have we've turned away from it, but now we are really looking at this as a justice and environmental racism issue. Like we have to seek alternatives to source reduction and shutting down age power. And, um,
1: yeah, I can go on, but it's just uh, fine. I just wanted to answer that directly. Oh, yeah, the H the Power plant that is over on the west side, um, the burning of our waste, that issue is so impactful to people here, to our environment. Um, and it's a, a corrupt system, like you were saying, to where we are paying no matter what happens. Um, and it was a horrible contract that we agreed to. Um, and, it's a state that um, I believe only provides like eight percent of the energy for Hawaii, while or, or less, um, and it's not, it's not adding anything positive uh, to our lands and to, to the people. Um, and just to continue on with a question to you um, being the program manager for the Sierra Club and us as Surfrider how can we and other environmental organizations and activists better elevate the voices of people of color and address these environmental justice issues more authentically?
6: Yeah, that's a great question. That's a big question. Um, But I think what the first step is for an organization, just as individuals to take an honest look at um, themselves, right? And I think something that I've been really inspired by what Theater Club National has been doing is to reckon with its own racist history and um, what conservationism, which was founded by white males um, that pushed indigenous people out of land to make our, our parks. Um, you know, John Muir was the founder. I learned through the Theater Club sharing that um, he has ties to, to Nazis and white supremacy. And so I think having that first and not Um, Not to say every org has such a stark history to that degree, but I think it's um, in order to authentically advocate or elevate people of color, you need to first reconcile that history, confront that history so that it can be um, authentic, right? I I feel it's a crucial, critical step and that, you know, luckily Black Lives Matter and the uprising around environmental, I mean, uh, racial justice, it's, kind of pushed all orgs and individuals to not tiptoe around this issue anymore. And um, I think that excites me because there's a lot of, honestly, healing in our relationships um, that needs to be done as a society, as organizations, so that we can enter like authentic relationships with one another. So that's like that first uproot your history, address the elephant in the room. Um, it's not about erasure of history either, because I know there was like this taking down of monument that is really critical. But I think it's also um, equally important that people of color have experienced their erasure from history and true history. So um, it's important to acknowledge and, and yeah, be honest to that. And uh, for me, I think in my experience, I'll use actually working with youth uh, I operate from a place of privilege when I work with youth and I'm aware of that. And so I do mindfully interact and because I truly want to amplify their voice is I sit back and I do a lot of listening, which I think is really important. And um, being aware of, am I talking too much? Am I taking up too much space? Am I, um, you know, am I offering or am I telling? Like there's this kind of new awarenesses we need to have and um, as a woman of color, I think, you know, I know how to navigate my spaces really well. Like I, I navigate very differently with youth than I do with predominantly males. And I, um, I guess to a degree to have authentic communication is we have to be aware of um, how these dynamics play, play out in our interactions and if we truly want to have an inclusive space uh, that we need to address that and I guess do that kind of new learning and adopting new behaviors and I think with the call out against patriarchy and white supremacy these are um, and colonialism and um, all these isms honestly it can be it's, it's harder for different people to use those terms I think youth are really great with it but because it's so politicized it can be hard but honestly people by nature are complex And even if you don't have the the term for these things you know nine out of ten women have experienced some kind of um say harassment or um have felt dismissed by being in a in a space of males and so we need to and you know again people of color have felt that dismissal and we just have to now in our spaces be very mindful of that and um me, that's what it means to have authentic inclusion. they're not just entering into a space of tokenism and saying, hey, now we have a bunch of people of color. Great, We're <laughs> we met our quota. That's a very corporate capitalist mentality. So um, I think that, in, in a way, <laughs> I hope answer the question.
2: No, yeah, that was absolutely beautifully said. I think, um, especially as we see organizations look into themselves and try to turn um, or I guess improve and become a more intersectional organization. Um, Of course, like the concern and the, um, what's it called, like intention is there. um, But I think often that authenticity and transparency um, is what holds them back. So I'm so glad that you brought that to light and and really highlighted it. So um, I guess simply. Um, Kristen, what do you believe are the most critical changes uh, you believe must be made so that we can face our future effectively, whether that's an individual effort through authenticity and transparency or on like a bigger, more political level. Um, what do you think?
3: I definitely feel very similar to what Lauren was saying about how um, you know, our environmental organizations that we need to step back and you know, try to listen more than we speak because everyone has, thinks their voice is more important than the other ones but being able to actually take a moment and understand what is being told to you rather than trying to interpret it in your own mind first. And also another thing is trying to overcome ignorance as a society, as a community, as a nation, as a global society, as everything. There's a quote um, that I have, it's ignorance is always afraid of change. If you don't know that something needs to change, you're most likely not going to change it, and I feel that that is something that's so powerful, but it's so prevalent in today's society, especially when there's always a, you know, a tweet uh, that can be easily, what, easily proven wrong by someone that you you think would be credible for it. Um, but just being able to understand that you have to find the knowledge for yourself if it's something that you really want, something that you're passionate about. Um, For example, for my, earlier this year, I was very ignorant to growing our own food and how sustainable that is for me. I mean, I knew how sustainable it was and I knew that it's very, that the world needs it, but just it's a different practice from actually doing it and actually saying it. And so this summer I had the opportunity to work with Ma'o Organic Farms over in Wai'anae. And that was a life-changing changing experience and being able to understand how, just being able to have that flip of a switch, like, wow, this is what it means to, you know, aloha aina, like you were saying, no, no Lani And to love the island, to love the land, but still not to take so much from it to where it cannot re- repair itself but also to from growing this food we're able to give back to the community and just understanding how full circle that it all really is and that was my aha moment and something that i'm very proud of and something that i will take with me for the rest of my life so if we can (laughs) uh, i say that to say that if we as a society as a nation can overcome our ignorance and actually step out of our comfort zone and try things that others deem as weird or not conventional because it's not from a store or it's not from whatever. We can actually maybe take a step back and look from a bird's eye perspective to see how full circle everything actually is. And you said we can be super real on this panel. So I'm going to say take out the money of it all that is something that is so heavily in today's society and it's weird i you know i i just noticed that like the world is in a global debt like how do you do that how do you i don't understand that's something that i'm fi- trying to figure out but like if we can take the money of it all out and just realize that we are human and we are people and if you you can have all the money in the world but that still won't make you happy and you have to be able to understand that from other people's perspectives, And that's something that definitely needs to evolve more (laughs) as a global world and as a society definitely. And I think if we can make productive steps then
2: we're
3: on the right track.
2: (laughs) Absolutely, I think like corruption and, and greed definitely allows environmental injustices to prevail and I know I keep saying that everyone speaks so beautifully, but everyone's just so well-spoken. I freaking, I wrote down your quote on my notepad because <laughs> that was so perfect. Um, and I'd also kind of like to throw that question as well to um, Noelani, um, how can we as individuals help communities living on the front lines of environmental racism and injustice from a personal level, um, whether that's in getting involved with an organization or, or changing our individual mindsets?
4: Mahalo. I just also want to acknowledge feeling very inspired by what Kristen just shared and just um I I love being able to hear people have those moments especially young people like you Kristen, have those moments where like you have this experience with a community and Aina and producing food and all of a sudden it just really shifts your way of, of thinking. I think that's so beautiful and um so I guess what I was thinking about in relation to this question about how to help communities on the front lines of environmental um, racism and injustice here in Hawaii is that the year that we've just, you know, come out of, uh, um, we've seen so many communities in land protection movements, right, that, um, you know, a year ago, Mauna Kea, where thousands and thousands of people on Mauna Kea, um, in Waimanalo we- in at Hunananiho, um, most recently in Hakipuu, um, in Kahuku and Kalailoa, there w- was just no shortage of communities who are rising up to protect lands and their livelihoods and connection to those lands. And so I think the first thing that I would say is, you know, when the call comes out from communities like that who are in this role of kiai or protecting that um you know learn what you can show up um show up just to learn and talk story if you're not ready to show up and you know hold a sign and you know kind of lock yourself down and get arrested with them you know just learn i i think it was really beautiful for me to see this past year on mauna kea like people coming up who were um non-Hawaiian staff of the DLNR, you know, police who were off duty, um, like folks who would not ordinarily be considering themselves activists, but they were called to to come. You know, there were delegations of Pacific Islanders, Tongan, Pan-Micronesian delegation, Maori, like so many people coming to just greet each other face to face and say, you know, I recognize what you're doing. And kind of what Kristen was saying about humanity, you know, recognizing each other's humanity and our, and our connection. Um, I, I wanted, I did want to mention the, uh, a, and talk a little bit more about that Kahuku struggle because, you know, as we're thinking from an environmental perspective about energy transition, you know, I think when when we look at how some of the energy transition projects in Hawaii have rolled out over the last few decades, we can see this pattern where things have not always been um, pono, that they have, you know, whether it was in Puna in the 1980s around geothermal development and then that struggle which went on into the 1990s, um, or whether it was on Moloka'i and Lanai over big wind in the early 2000s or just this past year in Kahuku, where over 200 people were arrested in Kahuku and Kalailoa, there's this repeated pattern of large-scale industrial centralized generation energy projects being cited in places that impact um, Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, people of color disproportionately and without adequate consultation and collaboration with those communities. in, in the Kahuku case with the um, Napua Makani wind project, you know the community concerns included lack of a transparent process, um, the concerns about endangered species habitat, but also concerns about human health, as well as about wealth erosion that would take place um, in a predominantly Hawaiian and Pacific Islander community. And even um, a former Public Utilities Commission attorney, you know, said that. Um, the Napua Makani Wind Project was one of those projects that should not be built because it represented the wrong way to do renewable energy projects, as was brought up by a few of the other panelists earlier, that this, not just in renewable energy, but this repeated kind of decision-making about what happens with lands and waters in Hawaii, where large-scale corporate interests try to bulldoze through projects that impact communities um, who are who are opposed to them and then it it, you know it it ends up in the same kind of situation over and over so we need to really think as we try to move um, toward renewable energy toward you know thinking differently about waste all of these really important environmental goals we really need to think about how to do it in an in a just way
1: Thank you again, Noe, for uh, your beautiful and powerful words Um, and helping raise awareness on the Kahuku wind farms, on Mauna Kea. I've talked to so many of my friends on the mainland who didn't even know about the issue of Mauna Kea and what was happening. Um, And that was actually one of the first uh, kind of social issues that we as Surfrider got involved with. That was outside of our... our main mission, which is the protection and enjoyment of the world's ocean waves and beaches. Our chapter coordinator, duray Shen, brought it to us as a committee and asked if we would like to promote and support the movement on Mauna Kea, even though it doesn't have anything to do with us as riders it has to do with the people here. It has to do with this social justice movement that is going on and how it is impacting our land, our people, their rights. Um, yeah, thank you for speaking on it and bringing that topic up. Um, so. Continuing on um, to you, Alfonso, how do you think that the recent civil rights uprising have impacted the local and national community? Um, And why do you think that it has taken this long for it to become such a large issue?
5: Thank you for that question. And uh, let me say that first of all, I believe that Uh, this has awakened a movement that no one predicted. It was just not expected that this would be the straw that would ignite. This would be the illumination again of what civil rights speaks to. Because this is not new that the recent killings uh, and and injustices, it is nothing new. It's just that this particular moment in history and a hundred years from now, the historians and the archivists are gonna go back and they're gonna look and say, what caused Kristen Brown to activate? And they're gonna be able to say, it was a movement. It was a movement that changed the narrative because up until that moment, the pundits were able to say, it is not what you think, even though you were looking at, at raw footage. So I think that it, is, it has forced America and a global society to have to stand up and say, this is where I stand on the issues of race and racism and disparate treatment. It is also again polarized the strength, the vitality, the fortitude of our young people who felt the need to say that my future is not secure. If we look at the man that we just a few weeks ago, a few days ago, laid to rest after a long life We look at John Lewis, it was John Lewis who played a critical role in voting rights activism and and getting folks across that bridge. And he almost lost his life behind it. You know, so I I think that this was a moment where young people stood up and said, where are you? Will you protect us? We're going to go secure our future. And what we noticed is that it was young people of all race, creed, colors, genders, ideologies, faiths, beliefs, from across the globe, and it ignited a movement that has yet to cease. And because of that, it has allowed us now to change and comfortably say, now is the time. And my only concern is that those who wait are going to miss out on the opportunity for change that is long overdue.
1: Thank you. Oh, yeah, thank you, sir. Um, Yeah, we we cannot wait. Um, The time for action is now, as we stated earlier.
5: Um, Here's another point, too, that I think that's important for us to consider is that this particular movement and the now, it, it, it reminds the least of us, the person down the street who felt as though they couldn't make a difference. It reminds them that their collective, we the people, can truly impact policy that they can make a monumental change, not just uh, in DC, but they can do it locally. They can do it at their city council. They can do it at their state legislature. And, And look at all of the sweeping changes. They, you know, you look at corporate America and you see that they have responded. And those corporations who have not chosen to wake up going to suffer the consequences because we the people, the regular Joe citizen, has actually shown that we have the power to just do what our constitution provides that we can. Thank you.
1: No. Thank you, sir. Um, It is we the people that are going to come together and are going to make this change. It's not going to be one organization, one person, one voice, but this conjoined voice and action of the people that is going to cause this large change. Um, Thank you for your opinion. Kristen, I saw that you had raised your hand. Do you have something to add, please?
3: Yes. I would like to add that among the community and among me personally, I've heard more and seen more of a conversation being started and being brought to light where in the past it would normally not be talked about it would be considered like taboo to talk about kind of sort of you wouldn't at least from my perspective i have uh here on on Oahu. i have very few like black friends or friends that are my age that i know from going to school or things like that and from you know, the social justice, so civil rights movements and the marches that have been happening, we've been able to reach out to each other and actually connect with each other and to build that community with one another. And with the Popolo project here on the island, we we've been able to just find our community again, I feel like. It's sad that something as awful as, you know, a human being being treated miss and being treated awfully that results in their death you know has to be the cause of unity but in the past in history that's usually how it starts and then from there the movement of this is enough and when do we get a turn kind of sort of that kind of sparks and that erupts and that it brings us to where we are today and hopefully it will keep moving to a more productive and positive place. And uh, along with what I said previously, for me personally, I know a lot of the times I w- I would watch the news of my mom and I just keep asking why. Why does, why did George Floyd have to die? And why did why did the police treat people so awfully or people of color, things like that. Just asking the question why, and then again, having to go and answer that for myself or having to ask others, and to get their opinions and to just broaden my mindset and things like that. And so I think everything that's happening, although it's just history repeating itself, uh, everything that's happening is for a reason and hopefully it'll continue to get better and not just become another repetition. So thank you.
1: Oh, thank you. And um, just continuing with, with kind of what you said with that spark, with what ignites a movement and ignites the people. Um, I was wondering with you, like being a youth, if you could share with us, what was that moment that kind of sparked this activist in you? What was it that kind of opened your eyes and made you want to say no more and I'm going to be a part of this change?
3: For me, it started... Um, and for my and climate work, it started about two years two, two years ago now. I had the opportunity to travel to Iceland with the NAACP and with a group of students from the mainland and we were just awestruck by how beautiful Iceland is and seeing the glaciers and how they use renewable energy to their advantage and they don't pollute as much as, you know, the other developed nations do but it was also very heartbreaking to see the puddles of the glaciers and you understand that the glaciers stood so tall for hundreds of years you know they were unmoved untouched and then humans come along and you know let's heat up the environment just a little bit and you notice the drastic change that does to the ocean that does to Icelandic land and even the Greenland that's over the Greenland Island that's over there just understanding that that's not supposed to happen and that's that's hurting the environment that's hurting the creatures that live there and the people it'll eventually travel back up to the people that live on the islands and they'll have to find a whole new way of life and the animals will either have to they'll become extinct or they'll have to find a way to adapt to the land that was once their own that they once got to call home. And then bringing that back home to our Aina and thinking we don't necessarily have ice and snow, but we do have beaches and we do have, you know, our forest here. And thinking if once the sea levels rise, everything's gonna be underwater. Everything's gonna, the island is already so small because of how big the population is here. Just thinking like, there won't be anywhere else to go. And just wondering what I can do and what can change and what has to change and why there hasn't been any change. Those who, what, when, where, why questions for me have always been there. I learned them in like fifth grade and they always are like the backbone of how I answer my questions and how I want to tackle things. And that that event trickled down to where I am today, and I found a community that also wanted to change the environment, to change the, the way things are environmentally wise, and everything from there has been a domino effect. I met so many amazing people that have done nothing but support and encourage and guide, and so that's, that's how I got involved with um, climate work, and it was, it's been fun.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, these issues definitely are much more conscious to people now. And I believe that that's because of our access to information through technology, through the internet, through us being able to communicate with people across the world and seeing these issues that aren't just happening in our backyard. Right. We think that it's just our problem. No, this is something that is a global issue. Um, and, Yeah, it's uh, something that people are waking up to and have woken up to um, and are demanding change, um, demanding actions be taken. So thank you again. Um, Lauren, if you can, um, tell us what are some specific ways that you see the connection between sustainability and social justice that some people may not be aware of um, and maybe some issues that you have seen or experienced yourself?
6: Another big question. Uh, well, my, my instinct is to say sustainability needs to be rooted in justice. And um, by that, if we have committed to our environmental justice lens, which is about including um, where people live, work, and play, and requires like, context to something, whether it be a product or a project, I think we have to um, consider the variety of ways that it impacts uh, people and the environment. and. I actually, um, two things I think of um, when I think of this term sustainability that gets co-opted and, um, you know, taken as a marketing tool by corporations and how there is a lack of accountability in that. I mean, in my own personal, um, (laughs) I am a vegan and I try to make good choices, but every time i look at something it's because of this profit motive on some end of it there is an injustice whether where it's created outsourced labor and poverty wages slave wages or um it's like one thing at the cost of another um so that's a a connection that i think we constantly again developing this environmental justice lens that is inclusive is important and i really want to actually um I'm really glad Noalani talked about um, kahuku to this larger um, issue and, and rethinking what our, um quote-unquote clean energy system looks like and she talked and about that project and and thank you because the context is so important and just to even think that uh the corporation who is behind that project is AES who also operates the coal plant which has no which you know has been dumping toxic coal ash um to the PVT is um you know accountable to their shareholders not community so it's like unplugging you know a coal plant um you know (laughs) calling it clean energy and doing something horrible to another community elsewhere predominantly same rural um hawaiian working class so i think we have to again have that concept uh, because this could meet our greater sustainable sustainability goals but if it harms a community then that is not sustainable right and rightfully so the community um rose up against that and and kind of because this has been happening this is repetitious because we have this industrialized um, mentality or um, hold on our energy system right and that's its own ecosystem aes um, creates energy hawaiian electric is a monopoly over our entire energy grid which justifies these utility scale projects again that harm communities and they're all there are alternatives to that, um, that it can be downscaled. Communities can literally power themselves. This exists. Um, we just need that paradigm shift to rethink who are energy providers, and um, how are are they ethical and to the environment and to people, right? Um, that's what they need to be accountable to. And just one last point I like to always bring up is that energy is actually a part of um, the state constitution it views energy as a part of the public trust just as it does land and water and so we can really honestly look at energy now as a human right especially when it comes to clean energy why is it privatized it's our air it's our um you know sun and i think the privatization of these really important um projects or and and systems need to be taken the profit motive needs to finally end and we have to kind of be willing and ready to demand that greater
2: shift and make space for it so that's my answer to that <laughs> absolutely i know that a big issue i had getting involved with the climate change movement or something that made me kind of feel uncomfortable was i felt like you know we advocate for really broad concepts such as clean energy or waste management um et cetera. Et cetera. but when it comes down to the actual like implementation and how we want to do that i feel like there isn't enough conversation around um you know, ethical ways to move forward, how we're going to incorporate intersectionality, that conversation really isn't there. So I absolutely agree where justice or sustainability needs to be rooted in justice, I believe is what you said. Um, Yeah, and I know that climate change as an issue, social justice as a wide range of issues, it can become very daunting and, and very difficult to kind of move forward with. So I just kind of wanted to give the space for everyone to maybe say one to two sentences about what keeps them optimistic in um, you know, times like these or, or just in a world where <laughs> the odds may seem stacked against you. So I guess we'll start with um, Kristin. Hmm.
3: What keeps me optimistic is probably the thought that there that change wants to happen. Change is it's like you see the tree on the other end of the glass door and you're trying to get to it. You just gotta figure out how to open the door kind of sort of. You see the the productivity that the that having change can that creating the change can have on individuals and on the society as a community and just getting there is in the obstacles that's the hard part and that's what we're trying to work through the capitalism and education and all the issues that we see in today's society in our community that's something that we're trying to change in order to get to the tree on the other end of the glass door so to speak so that's what keeps me optimistic and yeah
2: I like that metaphor better than light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> a little more of an environment spin. I forgot about um, that. <laughs> okay, um, next, Nolani.
4: Well, one of the reasons why I like um, studying and writing about, as well as participating in social movements is because of the ways that um, in the doing of maintaining a movement, you know, the seeds of new ways of living emerge and alternatives to the dominant system, uh, you know, are there. Um, so when I think, for example, about this past year and the movement on Mauna Kea, you know, from the outside, maybe people only see what is being opposed, but what they may not see is what it actually looks like on the ground to sustain that movement. And what those of us who got a chance to visit the Pu'u Honua Pu'u saw is um, what this community looks like, you know, which is al- the alternative to the kinds of things that we're talking about, you know, people feeding each other based on donations that rolled in several times a day from all over, you know, free health care for all, um, loving and responsive, round-the-clock elder care. For the kupuna who who um, maintained the the front line at the kupuna tent, um, free multi generational education, you know the Pu Hulu University that was um, organized by Presley Hamuk sang, um, honoring and valuing all essential workers. You know someone would drive in, um, the guy who that would drive in to pump the porta potties, and people would literally chant their thanks to this person who is you know, taking everyone's pee and poop out. I mean, it was like that kind of a community. What was most difficult for me about leaving the Mauna was returning to this other way of life and thinking that way of life is possible here, you know, everywhere where we are, if we can just get people to see that caring for one another, caring for the Aina in these ways is what gives life. Um, So that keeps me hopeful.
2: Thank you, I wasn't able to make it up um, to the Mana, but I so badly want, wanted to, and um, I really admired everything that they did and everything that was happening. Um, next we have Alfonso.
5: Thank you. And, and I've contemplated this for a while, and I recall having a conversation with the great historian, the late John Hope Franklin, he, asked the que- he was asked the question, what is it that keeps him awake at night? And he said, it is future generations. And so in response to the question that you rise, I say tonight that uh, I sleep comfortably because courage has not skipped this generation. That they have had the moral courage to stand up to wrong, to injustice, and to fight despite what people said that they would not do. And so I think that it is, there is hope. Hope is not lost, hope is not gone. And so we talked about the Gen X's and the Y's, you know, the, the everybody, we were feeling as though there was no hope in this generation. And I'm so proud right now to say that courage has not skipped this generation and I feel secure about the future, thank you.
2: That was so heartwarming and, and I think so needed to hear. So I really appreciate that. Um, next we have Lauren. Okay,
6: I like to echo everything that's been said before me because um, it's been amazing. But I think, um, again, my, my lens, um, I, I'm really excited to say that I know that capitalism, extractive capitalism, which has posed so much violence on communities um, and our planet for so long, um, that it's effect, like we, I'll just be honest, we've all been screwed by this system in some way, shape or form, and people are finally ready to um, reimagine abolishing um, how this has impacted uh, the variety of ways, right? It has infiltrated our government, our economy. And so I think um, that, I'm optimistic no one's gonna back down from that, or people aren't gonna back down from that call to end. Um, and then also, I think, as I mentioned earlier, there's like a healing and reconciliation that really much excites me. All these injustices exposing um, these racial divisions that for profit and power have, um, you know, kept us from being like whole human beings with one another. I think that's what Black Lives Matter has also, you know, this intersecting um, ways of how we're talking about, you know, racism, patriarchy, white supremacy. It's we just need to see each other as humans and it's time to evolve. So that's what keeps me optimistic that that's happening. Again, I'm a mom. That's what I'm going to teach her. And I just think this new energy coming, <laughs> um, they're on that. And you guys have already been a great example of that, right? The shift is happening and it's just continuing now.
1: Thank you all for sharing your optimism on that. Um, at some point, this conversation might seem like depressing and down, so that optimism was uh, very, as Tabby said, heartwarming, um, and it was much needed. But we're coming kind of like towards the end, and we wanted to know if there was a positive message that you can give, and everyone kind of already did, but also um, some ways that people can become more educated, more involved, uh, whether that's through books, poems, podcasts, organizations, um, whatever that may be, so they can learn and effectively take action. And um, we'll go in the same order and starting with Kristen, please.
3: Thank you, Ray. Um, I guess I would say in order to continue to learn you have to be curious, so stay curious, keep asking the question why, and then for yourself go and seek the answer, the truthful answer. And keep up to date with our organizations. Uh, we're HYCC, Hawaii Youth Climate Coalition, and we're always trying to better our community, whether it be through the government or through schools and trying to, or even through marches and trying to bring awareness to issues that we care about here on the island. And, as individuals, but stay curious, as cliche as it might sound. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you, Kristen. Um, Yeah, always ask why. Don't ever just stand idly by as things happen and not be curious as to why they are going on, and why these negative impacts are happening. Thank you. Uh, Next, Noi, please.
4: I'm grateful for this question because the teacher in me is like, this is the homework question. Yay, we get to give homework. Um, So the first uh, thing that I wanted to share is that I've been thinking a lot about this quote by an amazing um, abolitionist, activist, scholar, political geographer, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who says that capitalism requires inequality and racism enshrines it. Um, And I've been looking a lot to know radical black scholars who have been really highlighting the ways that um, capitalism and racism um, are so intertwined that it's impossible to pull them apart Um, so her work um, you know the work of robin dg kelly um, on racial capitalism barbara ransby angela davis Um, just amazing stuff if you like google and youtube and watch some videos you don't have to read much but if you want to read there's lots to read as well Um, for hawaii based stuff there are a few things that i'd really love to highlight Um, one is that i've been really privileged to be able to work on this series called the value of hawaii the first volume was edited by craig house and Kumujan osorio about 10 years ago it came out, and um, then Aiko Yamashira and I did a second volume, and then we're just about to um, this fall release a third volume of thinking about you know, post-COVID futures. And so um, that series of um, texts brings together voices from all over the islands about what is valuable about Hawaii and how we can um, continue to you know, ma'lama and to care for and enhance the things and um, qualities that are valuable to us about Hawaii. Um, I also want to highlight that as I mentioned, La Ho'iho'i Ho'i this past July curated a whole bunch of digital content. If you check out the La Ho'iho'i Ho'i YouTube channel or Facebook page, we had you know, probably a dozen panels of people speaking about all kinds of issues that are totally related to all the things that we have been talking about today. Um, and then some specific plans that have emerged um, the building bridges not walking on backs a feminist economic recovery plan for covid 19 is essential reading um, and that's freely downloadable um, through the commission on the status of women and the aina aloha economic futures um, project which has a site ainaalohafutures.com aina as well as they talked about earlier, um, the Cancel RIMPAC coalition. So checking out their um, website, they've done webinars and a beautiful collective poem, uh, Cancel RIMPAC, a collective poem. That's my homework. Mahalo.
1: Thank you very much for that homework assignment, Noe. It's been a while since some of us have had homework, but yeah, it's, uh, it's greatly appreciated. We need that knowledge. Um, thank you for your wisdom. Uh, Alfonso your response.
5: Yes uh, I would say it's a simple yet daunting task and I would urge us to see what we could do to put the neighbor back in our neighborhoods because if we ask the people that we live next door to what is someone's name whether or not they have a need or You know, can we help them? Would we check on them? We don't know anything about each other, but yet we claim we have neighborhoods. And neighborhoods are the staple of any society, any healthy society. I mean, it takes the entire village to grow the kids, the next generation. You know, we used to have a neighborhood watch, but how can you have a neighborhood watch when you aren't truly personifying what it means to be a neighbor. We have to look beyond our differences and see what it is that we have in common. And it should be that commonality that unites us. And because of that unification, we again can truly be neighbors. And that's what I urge all of us to do. Thank you.
1: No, uh, thank you very much for that, sir. Um, we live in a society today to where, uh, there is so much self-centered, self-centeredness of individuals to where we don't pay attention to our neighbors in our neighborhood. And I'm extremely guilty of that myself. Um, and the statement that you just said was very impactful to me as I'm sure it is others because we say that we live in a neighborhood, and it's a nice neighborhood, but we don't know what our neighbors need. We don't know their problems, their issues. Um, And Yeah, that's going to be an action that I'm going to take now, um, because the impact that you've had with that. Thank you, sir. Um, And lastly, Lauren, please.
6: Okay, I'll do it real quick. Um, One, I referenced earlier, the article, Racism is Killing the Planet, and Sierra Magazine by Hop Hopkins, who's an amazing Black leader in our organization that really inspired me. I referenced a lot today. Um, and then two, if you haven't ever heard of the principles of economic, I mean, environmental justice, just Google it. It's really inspiring um, where that started in the 90s. And I think it's a good way of kind of capturing this inclusive um, environmental justice work, and then shameless plug, I'm also involved with um, a podcast up and coming that is centered around environmental justice in Hawaii, and um, talks about aloha aina and shared liberation. I work with a team of amazing women, and it's called Root Cause Remedies, and it's going to be coming soon, so I just wanted to put that out there, so you'll kind of look at our Instagram, because that's where I will most likely be posting. Yeah, share about it.
1: Thank you, Lauren. Um, So yeah, thank you to all four of our panelists, um, my co-moderator, Tabby, for being a part of this first conversation that uh, Surfrider Hawaii is having. Um, This is the first in a series of panel discussions that we have created to where uh, we aren't just doing it here on Oahu, but we are going to have it go throughout the the different islands and different chapters that we have here. Um, This is a conversation that cannot just be had once, but it needs to continue, it needs to adapt as issues arise and as there are problems that people need to know about. Um, and oh, we greatly appreciate you taking the time to be our first panelist. You are all so very impactful and influential in our community for the work that you do. Um, and we genuinely cannot say enough how appreciative we are for you taking this time and for the work that you do in our community, the work that you do for our people and the hope that you give to everyone out there that is watching this. Um, I would like to thank everyone at home that is watching this as well for taking this time, for sharing it on your feed, um, and for being interested in this conversation if you have never heard it before. Uh, Again, this is the first step um, in our conversation. We hope that you join us in our next one. Um, And yeah, panelists, thank you again for being here with us today, Tabby.
2: Yeah, and we want to give a big thank you to Delphi Cinema for your help and support behind the scenes with this whole event. couldn't have happened without you, so we're super grateful. Um, and just wanted to say if you, the audience, enjoyed this conversation, we encourage you to please share it with your friends and with other people. Um, it's really important that this conversation um, continues to happen well after it stops being trendy of any, in any way. Um, Our recording of this panel will be posted on Surfrider O'ahu's Facebook page and YouTube channel. Um, So like Ray was saying, continue tuning in for more environmental justice events um, with Surfrider Hawaii's different chapters. And also be sure to follow the work of our amazing panelists and to follow us at Surfrider O'ahu on Instagram and visit us at oahu.surfrider.org. So thank you again, everyone. I hope you have a great rest of your night, um, both to our panelists and our audience. And I'm excited to see what the future holds.